It's the Healthy Woman Show on WJR with Ann Thomas and Dr. Carol Kowalczyk, presented by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health. Welcome to WJR's Healthy Woman Show, brought to you by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Carol Kowalczyk. And Dr. Carol, on this edition of the show, we are going to talk about something that you know a lot about, infertility. So talk to us a little bit about what our listeners can expect on tonight's show. You're going to know everything you want to know and need to know about fertility and the positive things that are going on in the world of fertility. Um, I want to make sure by the end of the show that you are very confident that we can have options to help. So I'm looking forward to it, Ann. And we'll get started right after these messages. To WJR's Healthy Woman Show. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Carol Kowalczyk. And Dr. Kowalczyk, we talk tonight about fertility and infertility. So first of all, let's explain to our listeners what exactly is infertility. Infertility is the inability to get pregnant uh, depending on certain variables. So um, it's a year of trying if you're under 35. It's six months if you're over 35, and it's yesterday if you're over 40. That's my definition. Uh, So it's the inability to get pregnant after a concerted effort of having sex every other day around ovulation um, and the inability to to conceive. And when somebody comes to you with this kind of a problem, they're pretty stressed out, right? This is a tough thing that couples go through. You know, it's a very tough thing, but it's also a very common thing. And that's why, and we have Infertility Awareness Week that starts April 18th through the 24th. And and why you and I talked about how important that this whole show should be about fertility. Um, The reason Infertility Awareness Week started back in 2010, it was uh, determined a week by the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, is to make awareness that this is a common, more common problem than you think. So Uh, One out of eight couples or 15% of of couples experience uh, fertility struggles, and uh, it is a medical condition. So uh, if you had diabetes or high blood pressure, you would be to the doctor right away to figure it out, get treatment, feel better, move on. Uh, But for whatever reason, fertility historically has been something that people shied away from seeing doctors for because they felt that they weren't normal. So this is really important for this hour that I can share with with listeners that it is something that is medical, curable. Over 90% of the time, we can find a reason. Over 90% of the time, we can find treatment options. And uh, so it is stressful, and but it is something that we can work with. 15% of the population has fertility issues, but only less than 10% seek treatment. So it is my passion and our purpose tonight to try to relieve some of those fears and get people excited about, excuse me, the possibilities. So why is that number so low with regard to people coming to seek treatment? What's going on there, do you think? I, well, the good news is that that number is, is getting lower, uh, better, excuse me. So more and more people, I think, are seeking help. Um, I still think it should be a lot better. And one of the reasons is 
people are nervous that they're the only ones. Uh, people are worried about what the problem could be. People are worried about what treatment options they might need. So I believe that people are concerned that there's no hope. And that's not what it's all about. It is about just the opposite. Now, the good news is that more people, I think, are, are talking about it, which is amazing. Uh, I hear more people on the internet, social media, talking to their friends. There's a lot more publicly out there with you know, personalities of you know, TV, radio, that are talking about their experiences. Uh, and I think that that is helping get the word out that it is a medical condition. And I believe that the more we talk about it in different circles, the more people are going to feel more comfortable in seeking help. You know, I've had the honor and the pleasure of talking to some of your patients. And what I always walk away with is how grateful they are that they took that first step and they called you. Talk a little bit about how much it means to them. That is the first step. And, and, and to have the courage to say, look, I need help and I need to figure this out. And I think once they walk through the door and feel that it's very comforting and they've already been plugged into a family and that we're going to take care of them, I think that takes a lot of the stress uh, of, of that first step away. And, and they're grateful, not only for myself, but for my staff that they have a very loving group of people right from the front desk all the way down who are going to be like holding their hands saying, this is what we're doing next. Um, let's go ahead and, and do this work up. Let's figure it out. And, uh, and then they find that, that the options are more than what they think. And they're excited actually about getting going. And, you know, down to a person, every single one of them has said to me that they do feel like when they come through the door, that they're being treated like family, that your staff and you and your docs really make them feel very, very comfortable. And that's got to be what it's all about for people seeking treatment because they many probably don't because they are worried and they are anxious. Well, the biggest compliment we get is they don't want to leave us and they want me to deliver their baby, which is <laughs> not an option since I haven't taught, caught a kid in like, I don't know how many years. So I do not have that expertise anymore. There's plenty of GYNs out there, uh, but they don't want to leave. And it's really cool that they're, 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 they're stuck with us and they are, I mean, they come back, I get, you know, we get Christmas cards, we get holiday cards. They come back and show us our our, um, our kids, as a matter of fact, the very first IVF baby that we had from Michigan Center for Fertility came back years later as a teenager. Uh, and, and, and then the, he, it was just remarkable that, you know, graduating from high school, yeah, that's telling how old I am, but, um, but graduating from high school, and it was just a, a, an awesome feeling that, that the, the journey of life had taken it to that, that level, and he's going to college, and it's just it's really cool. Let's talk a little bit about what happens when they do come to visit you. Let's kind of go through a basic workup. How does it work? So the patients will get a welcome letter initially. And on that letter, we'll already tell them what to expect. So when they come in, they'll get a very full history uh, taken by for, of them and of their partner. And we'll sit down and when, within one menstrual cycle, we're able to complete the workup. And I call it, there's three parts of a triangle that we'll do with her next period. It's hormones, sperm, and structure. 
And so with the first day of the period, she'll call the office, she'll get a uh, baseline blood work uh, in the early part of her period, day two, three, or four. Uh, and we're gonna check a series of hormones to see if there's any hormonal issues that could be causing problems with releasing the egg or ovulation. So if her thyroid's off, her sugar's off, a hormone called prolactin, if that's off, then we would find it, address it, treat it appropriately, and hopefully get ovulation to occur. Um, there's special hormones that we could test for fertility potential, and that is hormones FSH and AMH. FSH is produced in the brain. It stands for follicle-stimulating hormone, and it gives us an idea of how young or old the ovaries are. So you want that level less than 10. Over 10 means the ovaries are getting older um, and that we need to move quickly or quicker with our fertility plan. Uh, AMH is anti-malarian hormone. It's produced in the ovary and it tells us kind of how many eggs are left to work with. So an AMH of greater than one is what we want. Less than one means there's less eggs to work with. Uh, so that hormone panel, especially that FSH AMH is correlated with the patient's age uh, and that together with a baseline ultrasound looking for something called an antrophollicle count. That's a scan where we look at little cysts in the ovaries to hopefully uh, make eggs and we count those. That'll give us an idea of what their fertility potential is. And, you know, we take that information and put it all together. And depending on, you know, how many kids they want too, uh, if they want one kid, it's a certain plan. If they want three kids and their hormones are off, we need to get more aggressive. That's going to help us with the female uh, piece of the triangle uh, with regard to hormones. Uh, 30 to 40% of the time, it's a problem with the guys. So we always get a semen analysis because it is that important and that high of a prevalence that it's a male factor. So they usually give a sperm sample and based on those, the count, motility, shape, and other parameters, we can give him an idea of what his fertility potential is. And then the third part of the triangle is a structural evaluation, which looks to see if the uterus is normal. Uh, that's important because if there's something in there, that could decrease chance of success by up to 50%. Also check if the tubes are open. So if the tubes are open, uh, we're good. If there's a problem with the tubes, fertilization occurs in the tubes, uh, then we have to address it either through surgery or bypassing the tubes through uh, something called IVF. So all those three parts of a triangle can be done within the woman's first menstrual period. So I'll meet her, say hi, get the, get the histories, make this plan. The next month when she gets her period, she'll call us. We'll do these three things. Then before the following period, we're seeing her again to go through the test results and then treatment options. So, and how long does this initial process take? What's from the time they come to see you until you get an answer for them? So usually we can get some kind of path or direction within uh, a month to two months. So, you know, the initial history uh, is, is to make the plan and then the next period will give us the, the, the data and then, so, then they come in for possible treatment. So if someone's coming to see me in April, Anne, and their period starts May 1st, May is the, I always tell them, May is the workup month, June's the treatment month. Uh, unless something surprising shows up, which warrants further testing, you know, that would be our game plan. You know, this may be anecdotal, but I have heard over the years of cases where the couple has a hard time having their first child. And so they go through infertility treatment and then they end up being able to have children naturally down the road. 
Do you see a lot of that or is it just anecdotal? You know, we do see it. Um, I wouldn't say a lot. Uh, we've had many patients who just make the appointment and then they cancel because they're pregnant. Uh, and then there's others that, um, you know, go through IVF or even egg donor, and then they turn around and look at, look, they're, they're pregnant. So, you know, it's a miracle we're all here. And that would be my answer. We only have a 15% chance of getting pregnant per month. And there has to be so many steps in the process of fertilization and, and success for pregnancy to make it happen that, you know, it is truly a miracle. And so in those scenarios, my answer is things just kind of the stars aligned and things just happened such that they didn't need uh, someone like us anymore. And God bless and great. And and uh, so we've seen it, but I just feel it's, it's, you know, kind of like the karma and, you know, God's plan that 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 occurred. You are listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show. We will continue to talk about the miracle of life in just a few minutes. Listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show brought to you by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Carol Kowalczyk, the founder of the center. And Dr. Carol, Infertility Awareness Week starts on Sunday. That's the focus of this show. We've talked about what happens when a couple first comes in and goes through the workup with you. What is next? How do you then deal with whatever comes up for any particular couple? So the importance of the follow-up visit is to sit down with the couple and have a team approach. So no treatment is cookie cutter. And I hate that. There are places around the country where it's state your name, it's IVF, state your name, it's egg donor, state your name. No, I mean, we need to be together with this couple. We need to be on the same page with this couple to know exactly what they really want. So I will take the data that we have, I'll go through the results, and then we'll make a game plan. Now, uh, you know, years ago, we just had to worry about getting them pregnant, but the success rates are so much better now with our advanced technologies that I now need to talk about, okay, how many kids do you want? So if I have a 37-year-old who really wants one child, then the treatment conversation goes along one route. But if this 37-year-old says, hey, I want three kids, then I need to fast track it. And I need to be able to say, okay, I can get her pregnant the first time, but let's go there. She's 37. She delivers at 38. She wants to breastfeed, have a maternity leave. Now she comes back to see me at 39, 40. Those eggs are that much older. So the patient who's 37 and wants one child may be good with starting with a fertility pill. The patient who's 37 and wants three kids, I may talk about IVF because I can make embryos now that's 37 that'll always be 37. So when she comes back at 40, she can you know have 37-year-old eggs that fertilized uh, back then. So that's an important factor is, is how old, how many kids. Uh, the other thing is looking at not just the data. I want to look at what their beliefs are. So I want to look and see you know, what's their comfort level, uh, ethically, morally, religiously, financially, uh, time-wise with their work schedules? Uh, are they, you know, working toward a PhD? Are they getting a new job? Are they moving out of the state? So all of these things factor in into our final 
treatment plan that I together make with the couple. And they all, everyone has choices. So I will present all the options available with the success rates of all those options. And my job is to let patients know what these options are, what the success rates are, and then it's up to the couple or partner to decide what's good for them. Now, that being said, I take each part of the triangle and address it. So like in the last segment, you know, if it's something that's easy, like their thyroid or prolactin or sugar's off, then we can address it. We wait until it's normalized and see if it works, if they get pregnant. Uh, there are certain pills that we use to help ovulation happen. Uh, the most uh, commonly known is Clomid. Clomid's been around since the 60s. And uh, what it does is it, it makes fakes the brain into thinking you're not producing enough hormone in the ovary. It then stimulates the ovary to produce more of a hormone estrogen. And then it also makes more follicles to develop. And so we use Clomid uh, a lot and we do ultrasound monitoring uh, to see if ovulation is occurring. And then we do hormones afterwards to document ovulation, uh, like a progesterone level about a week after we see a mature cyst on the ultrasound called a follicle. Uh, and we trigger it with a medication called Avidrel. Uh, a week after we check a progesterone to make sure they ovulated a week after a pregnancy test. Um, there's another drug that has been used more recently. It's called Letrozole, also called Femera. It's a breast cancer drug. It's used to treat breast cancer, but in five-day doses, we explain it like we uh, cause a balance of the male and female hormones. This can then lead to ovulation as well. So we do ultrasound monitoring at the beginning to make sure ovaries are at rest, in the middle to make sure that we can uh, assess ovulation. And statistically, if this is going to work, it'll happen in three to four months. No success, we're moving on to something else. So that first visit essentially starts to plan the whole year. So we're talking about, okay, here's our goal. Here's what we're going to do. Three to four months, this doesn't work. If that doesn't work, we're going to do this. If that doesn't work, we're going to do this. So when the patient walks out of the office, they already have a game plan, not just for next month, but pretty much for the whole year. Um, if these pills don't work, or if the patient is older, or if the hormones suggest that their ovarian reserve is getting lower, meaning that their ovaries are getting tired, we may want to fast track it. We may want to say they need fertility shots instead of pills. We may say that they need to jump to IVF because their ovaries are getting older. They have conditions that could affect ovarian health, like endometriosis or premenopausal state, et cetera. So, so that's that piece. And then for the sperm, if someone has very poor sperm parameters, then we do have a great team of male fertility specialists slash urologists that we work with in all parts of the Tri-County area. And depending on where the patient lives and, and, and where they want to see someone, we work very closely with male fertility specialists who would then take the men as patients and do hormone workup, ultrasound on them, genetic testing on them, and then make recommendations. And men can take uh, fertility uh, medication like women do to try to get their sperm parameters better. Um, so there's also uh, treatment options for the guys. In addition to male fertility specialists helping them, we can do something called insemination. That's uh, intrauterine insemination where we take the sperm, wash it, put it close into the uterus, uh, closer to the target of where the ovary, uh, the egg's being released. And that is where we time it based on those ultrasounds I mentioned. Um, that can increase success rate a little bit, or there may be some severe male factor where IVF is needed. So those are 
uh, ways do we treat the, the, the male factor, uh, which again is 30 to 40% of the time. And then structurally, if there is a little fibroid or polyp in the uterine cavity, those are non-cancerous usually, but they act as a foreign body in the cavity. And so that can decrease your chance of success up to 50%. So those things need to be removed. So we refer them back to their GYN and we have a great relationship with the GYNs in the area that we work together. And if they don't have a GYN, then we have, I have uh, associates that can do those surgeries. If the tubes are damaged, if the tubes are blocked, usually that requires IVF. If the tubes are dilated and blocked, that's a condition called hydrocelpines. The problem with that is that fluid can get back up into the uterus, be toxic to an embryo, and decrease chance of success up to 50%. So now that tube is, is recommended to be removed. So, so in that first visit, we're addressing all parts of the triangle, looking at everything, making a game plan for each of those pieces of the triangle, and then incorporating how many children a patient wants and what all of these other factors lead in, their timing, their, you know, financials, you know, are they getting a new, all of these things. And together as a team, we're making that plan together. So what is IVF? How exactly does that work? So IVF is in vitro fertilization, and that is um, a process that from the start of your period to getting the eggs out takes about five weeks. And how I explain it to patients is that they would call the first day of the period, get a baseline ultrasound to document ovaries are at rest. Uh, in our program, we give some birth control for two reasons. One is to get into our what we call batch cycle. Two is um, there are some studies suggesting that the um, uh, cysts grow at a more regular rate. Then they're on 10 to 12 nights of fertility shots to develop eggs. We do ultrasound and blood monitoring to monitor their progress. When the lead follicles 18 millimeters or above, they'll get a trigger shot to mature, get the re, uh, mature egg ready. Then 36 hours later in the Warren office under IV sedation, we're getting all the eggs. They met, made that cycle through the vagina and ultrasound guidance. That day we take fresh sperm, usually fertilized with the eggs, grow the embryos every single day. And my embryologist is fabulous. And he kind of babysits them, um, you know, throughout these, these five days. And, uh, and we try to get the embryos to the blastocyst stage. That's five days after they're fertilized. And then at that point, we decide, do we put one or two back in, depending on the patient's age, or there's a technology now called a PGTA where we can actually take a sample of the embryo and look to see if they're genetically normal or not, and you know, just put one embryo in later. And that's a great technology because all embryos look gorgeous under the microscope. My embryologist gives them all a double A, double B, uh, and you can't tell which one is genetically normal or not. So uh, this technology will allow us to pick out that embryo one is normal, we'll take that to put it in in the subsequent cycle. Embryo two and three are genetically abnormal, so much so that you never would have gotten pregnant or you would have miscarried. And so that technology in our eyes is very helpful. So, so those are, so in vitro fertilization is the ability to fertilize uh, the egg and sperm in the laboratory and then to grow the embryos. So success rate, like I shared with you, is 15% maximum uh, with nature. Anything short of IVF is about that success rate. So that Clomid, the Letrozole, the shots, all that's about the same. IVF, you know, is about 50 to 60%, maybe a little higher if you do the genetic testing, a little lower if you're older, because 
you know what? I can't make 40 year old eggs 20 again. Mm -hmm. So the success rate of IVF is based on predominantly, you know, the age of the egg, but it's something that, you know, is, is the more aggressive approach and is going to give us the highest success rate. Are you just absolutely amazed by the technology now compared to when you first started doing this years ago? Oh my gosh, I, definitely. I wanted to be at REI because when I trained at Hutzel Hospital back then, uh, REI was the field that was booming with all of this technology. And I love the fact that I'm part of something that is just progressing so quickly. I love the fact that I get to work with men, there's psychology involved in REI. And then fast forward, all the things that have happened in all these years is, is remarkable and it's still happening. So it's so exciting to be part of a, a field where constantly we're developing new methods and the success rates are getting better and better and better. And, and now we're approaching more natural things to help. It's just, it, it's just a great, great field and, and uh, proud to be part of it. Absolutely. You are listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show. We will continue the conversation in just a few minutes. of the show, we are talking about infertility and the significant impact it has on many families and couples right here in Michigan. Our expert is our own Dr. Carol Kowalczyk, the founder of the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health. And Dr. Carol, in this last segment, let's start this segment out by talking about your different, unusual, and important holistic approach to infertility and why your infertility center is so different than any other. Well, you know what? I, I thank you for saying that. I think, however, that uh, more and more fertility centers are, are taking this approach because there's more data that is talking about how we can throw medicine at people. We can give them all these drugs, but until the base station is optimal, they may not respond as well to the traditional medicine. So uh, we do have a wellness center attached to the Warren office. And my staff and I fully believe that we need to address the patient's well-being and make sure that they are as fit and as healthy as they could be in order to respond to whatever treatment we give them. So uh, nutrition is extremely important to us. And we know that there are lifestyle changes that can uh, optimize or hinder fertility. Like if your BMI is over 30, then it's like getting a 40-year-old pregnant. Why? The increased BMI has association with insulin resistance, insulin changes, it makes the eggs older. So we work with the patient. I have a whole team. Uh, I've got a PA who is, Emily, who is very passionate about uh, helping patients stay fit. I've got a personal trainer and a nutritionist there. I have the psychology of food, Claire. Uh, so we, we send them to these three people to work on a strategy to get their BMI closer in that range. A BMI of less than or equal nine to 19 is also associated with problems because you may not have enough healthy fats to make the hormones, to make the eggs. So that same team works to get that person's BMI in the appropriate range. So it, it's very important that we do that. For men, a BMI of over 30, a uh, high BMI can make the sperm parameters poor uh, due to hormone imbalances or just the physical belly kind of over the, the, the men's pelvis. 
Uh, stress is a, is a problem. So we work on stress. So we, in the wellness center, we have acupuncture, we have meditation, we have yoga, we have massage. So uh, we do know that stress can impact fertility. We cannot measure it really. Uh, one person's stress at a 10 is the other person's stress at a two, but uh, we work on mental health uh, significantly. Uh, also, there's antioxidants. There's vitamin supplements that we give uh, for men and women that are either through food or pills that can optimize as antioxidants the, the egg and the sperm potential. So uh, we really focus on that in addition to uh, the medical treatment. Mediterranean diet, studies have shown that keeping that insulin regular, having more vegetables than fruits, more lean meats, more whole grains, avocados, nuts, olive oil cooking with, that all can help with your um, uh, egg quality, sperm quality, and fertility potential. What about smoking, drugs, alcohol? So smoking more than a half a pack a day can, uh, and women can uh, make your eggs older, put you in the menopause, give you wrinkles, none of which you want. Men, the male fertility specialists will say as little as one cigarette, per, per one cigarette decreases your fertility potential by 1%. So if you smoke a pack a day, that's like a 20% hit in your fertility potential. So we tell our guys to decrease or stop smoking. Our acupuncturist is fabulous, and she's had a pretty good track record at smoke cessation uh, or smoke re smoking reduction when patients uh, see Dr. Sousley, who's, who's, who's remarkable. Um, alcohol, the, you know, we tell people historically not to drink, but if I, because I, if I say go ahead and drink and you'll have a glass, I'll have a bottle, so, right? So it's because the doctor said I could drink, right? So, so for men, it's two glasses a day, women, it's one, but for fertility and women, I think the most recent literature says, you know, four a week of an alcoholic beverage is, is acceptable or okay. And everyone lies about how much they drink, right? You go to the doctor, do you drink? No. Uh, and you just had like three cocktails the night before, right? So everyone does it. So everyone drinks. And so I think sometimes the stress of not drinking, you have to kind of weigh that. And then marijuana use and other drug use, there have been studies suggesting that it can affect uh, both egg and sperm quality and also an early fetus. So you're going to want to not do those um, as uh, or reduce it as much as possible, because I know that, you know, for many people, you know, THC uh, is, is helps with other medical problems. So yeah, you kind of have to balance the risks and benefits. Mm -hmm. So in the last segment, we touched a little bit on these amazing new technologies out there. And when I was preparing for the show, I took a look at some of your notes. And to be honest, it was kind of like, wow, I, I don't know what this is. It's very <laughs> So let's kind of get into more um, the Involcel treatment, the PGTM, the PGTA. What does this mean? All right. So, so with, um, well, first of all, PGTA and PGTM, uh, we talked a little bit about one of them in the previous segment. Those are um, pre-implantation genetic testing of aneuploid or, or other um, inherited conditions. So the PGTA looks for chromosomal abnormalities, like an extra absent chromosome, normal chromosomes. The, the PGTM looks as if is for a condition that both partners have that are going to potentially affect the baby, like cystic fibrosis, for example. Uh, if both partners have a gene that has, uh, they carry cystic fibrosis, the PGTM is going to identify embryos that are affected with cystic fibrosis, carriers of cystic fibrosis, or not affected. So that technology is helpful 
um, in, in determining what the optimal embryo is to, to transplant. InfoCell is a, is a, we initially were the only ones to do it. Now other fertility centers are, are coming on board. It is a technology where you're a little more natural in, in fertilization. So the front half is, is the same where the patient, the female will take uh, fertility shots to develop eggs as I described in the last segment. And then the difference though, is that we take those eggs, take up to six eggs, put it in a little plastic device that is uh, sperm and egg friendly, put an appropriate amount of sperm in that device. That device goes in the diaphragm. That whole thing it sits in the patient's vagina for three days and she acts as her own incubator. Then three days later, we take out the device to see if fertilization occurs. Now, the benefit of that is it's gentler, uh, less expensive, a uh, little more control, less monitoring. For certain groups, um, certain religious groups, it's more acceptable because fertilization occurs in the body and not in the lab. Uh, so there are some benefits to that. The downside is that the success rates are a little less. So insemination is 15%. Nature's is 15%. IVF could be 50% and higher. You know, the, the success rate of invo cells is more like 30%. But for certain couples, you know, that is their comfort level. And that is something that, you know, they know that they know that it may not be as successful as traditional, but, but for ethical, moral, religious reasons, um, they want to try it, then that would be perfect for them. There's, there's strict criteria that we normally follow to optimize the success within Bocell, but it's something that if it, that's their only option, then that's their only option. Um, other things that are new on the horizon you know, what if your eggs are too old to use um, or your sperm is really, really unacceptable, then, you know, we're doing egg donor and sperm donors. So I'm finding more couples that are older and uh, they're finding their partners older. So, and 40 is new 28, right? Except when it comes to your eggs. So, you know, they're finding their partners in their late thirties, early forties, but unfortunately the eggs don't read the book. And so, you know, many more couples are choosing to do uh, an egg donor where it's someone they don't know usually in their 20s who anonymously donate their eggs or men who anonymously donate their sperm and, and they can have pregnancies that way. And for an egg donor, the age cutoff for you to use an egg donor is your early 50s. Not that you want a baby always at 50, but you've got that time. And so by doing an egg donor, it takes away that pressure of, of having kids, uh, uh, of, of, of being forced or, or, or stressed about it um, in the 40s. Also, I'm seeing a lot more egg freezing. So many, many uh, women are sitting here thinking, and, and because of us and because of social media, and because people are talking about it, Anne, more and more single women are coming to me and saying, look, I haven't met Mr. or Ms. Amazing, right? I am not going to marry Mr. Sperm Donor because I'm 38 and I'm afraid of my fertility. Um, they are coming to freeze eggs. And it's really, really cool. There's a lot of professional women who are saying, look, let me get some eggs frozen. I find Mr. and Ms. Amazing later. Great. If not, I've got my eggs and I can fertilize them later. So we're seeing quite a few uh, single women who are doing that. And the thing to remember about that is that it doesn't guarantee a pregnancy. So I want to make it perfectly clear that just because you freeze an egg doesn't mean it's going to have a baby later. 30% of eggs will not survive the thought. And also it depends on how old you are and how many eggs to freeze. So for someone under 25, you probably want to freeze 15 to 20 eggs for an 80% chance of one baby. If you're over 40, then you got to have over 50 eggs. 
Why? Is because the eggs are older, more are going to be lost. So at that point, it's going to take a lot of IVFs to get 50 eggs, right? So you may want to rethink egg donors. So I'm just excited. And like I said in the last segment, there's so many things technologically that we're still doing that is just so exciting. And, and that's why patients shouldn't be you know, afraid to come in as opposed, they should alternatively have hope that you know, we're excited that they're there. We, we have so many things to offer, so many things on the, on the treatment plan that you know, they got to come in and, and, and check it out. The other group that you have given tremendous hope to are cancer patients because you are able to help them. Mm-hmm. And we're getting more and more relationships with our oncologists. And we will see if a patient's diagnosed with cancer, we will see them within a day to within the week, but usually a day or two from when they call us. And we give them several options about what to do for their family planning in the future. And one of them does include egg freezing. And uh, you know they're very grateful. And it's one thing that they don't have to worry about if they're a candidate to egg freeze and we have time with their cancer treatment, because many cancer treatments will definitely either knock out or inhibit their fertility in the future. So I'm very honored that we get to be part of that team as well. Dr. Carol Kowalczyk, your expertise on fertility and infertility is amazing. Thank you so much for this hour. It's been incredible to hear you talk about it. Thank you, Anna. I'm really excited. And remember, Infertility Awareness Week, you know, don't be afraid. And uh, we're here for you. You've been listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show brought to you by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health. On behalf of my co-host, Dr. Carol Kowalczyk, I'm Ann Thomas. We hope you have a great night. The Healthy Woman Show with Ann Thomas and Dr. Carol Kowalczyk has been presented by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health.